Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. Come on now, this is a fun church. Here we go. We're going to talk out of Luke chapter 15 uh, on the prodigal son. It's the last parable. I've saved it to the end because it is my favorite. And so it's probably the most famous parable. There's people that might not even know Jesus, but they'll use the term prodigal or they'll know this story. And so I want to dive into that one today. Um, Luke chapter 15, if you got our Bibles, let's go there. And this this parable... Uh, we call it the prodigal son, but, but that's, it's really not a great name because you, re, you really could call it the prodigal sons because it's the story of, of two sons that are distant from the father. Or some people have called it the waiting father because the unique character in the parable is the gloriousness, the, the amazing affection of the father. But you got to really understand the context to, to really fall in love with it. And so I want to read verse one, then we'll skip down to verse 11, but let's look at verse one because I want you to see who Jesus is talking to when he tells this beloved parable. Okay, look at it. It says this, verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So the tax collectors, a lot in that, the people that all of these Jewish people were most angry with. And the sinners, the people that were, it was like a collection. It was like people that had chosen a route of sinning. And these were people that Jesus was intentionally spending time with. And we've read all kinds of stories about Jesus intentionally spending time and feasting with Zacchaeus. Of course, it's more than just a cute little man named Zacchaeus, a wee little man was he. It's a, it's a story about someone that they would hate because they, they would despise. And so that's, they're looking right here at Jesus hanging out with those people. And then it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. So we don't really use that word mutter, uh, but it's the idea of complaining and grumbling. And why do they mutter? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so context. You've got tax collectors and sinners hanging around to hear Jesus and teachers of the law, Pharisees, the, the religious people, they're muttering, they're complaining, they're irritated. This man, Jesus, he's feasting with them. He's hanging out with them. He seems to like them. They like him. Arr, that's what's going on. And so in that context, then we see three parables back to back. And so the first one is the famous one, one we just sang the song about. It's the story of the shepherd who goes, leaves the 99 to go after the one. And so here's Jesus and he's saying, let me tell you what the kingdom is like. And he's talking about his father. He's talking about himself. He's saying, it's kind of like a shepherd and he leaves the 99 to go chase down the one. So the, he cares about the 1%. And he's, it's a great parable and it's about lost and found. It's about the lost sheep being found. And then he, then he gives another one. He says, it's like a lady. And she's lost one-tenth of her coins. It's the parable of the lost coin. And so the next one jumps up a level and it's like not 1%, but he goes to 10%. 
It's like the lady that lost one of her 10 coins and once she did everything she could, removed everything, she found it, she rejoiced. Shepherd rejoices, lady rejoices. And then he goes to this last parable and it's really the story of not losing 1% or 10%, but losing really it's 100%. I mean, we think mostly about the lost son, the younger brother, but Jesus tells a lot about the older brother as well. And it's the story of two sons. It's the story of one that is rebellious and leaves and one who is religious and distant. One who leaves the house and says, I'm gonna go my way. One who stays in the house and is living for his own way. And so I want us to take uh, some time this morning and dive into that parable. Uh, it is one of my favorites. It's like the Rose Bowl. It's the granddaddy of them all. So here we go. Uh, not really, I just said that. Luke 15, verse 11, favorite one. Here we go. Saved it for last, end of the summer. And all of the kids were sad. I said that yesterday. I said, oh, it's the end of the summer and everybody's so sad. All right, Luke 15, chapter 11. Here we go. It says this, Jesus continued, there was a man. So there you go, a man. It's really the idea of the parable is about the father. It's about a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Interesting. Need to kind of lock that in for the end of the parable because the estate is divided up between them, older and younger. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered. Say squandered. squandered. Uh, just making sure you're here. Squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. He, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And here's the famous phrase. So when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother who was in the field, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never once even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Father, we love you today. And we thank you for this parable that is our story. We thank you for this parable that is what we want so desperately to be alive in our hearts and not just our heads. We ask, Lord, that you would pour out the love of God into our hearts in a supernatural way today. Lord, let us not live in rebellion towards God or religiosity. Let us live as sons in your house. In Jesus' name, and Radiant Church said amen. amen. Uh, when I was growing up in elementary school, my uh, my, my family would go visit my grandfather. We lived in Moscow, Idaho, and he lived in Nampa, Idaho. And my grandfather uh, had had my dad when he was in his 40s. So my dad was the youngest. And uh, my granddad, when we were born, um, he, was, he was in his late 70s. And so when we were growing up, he was in his 80s. And so many times we would go visit, multiple times, sometimes during the year, and visit my granddad. And I loved visiting my granddad for a lot of reasons. One, because my granddad... He, he I, right now I have a lot of affection for him because I didn't realize this when I was a kid, but he was, he was five foot four. And so there's just something about that that makes me love him because my dad's 5'10 and my 15 year old son is five foot 10. And, and so there's something that just makes me love my granddad. I just believe that, you know, handsome skips a generation. So anyway, I, I loved my, my granddad and uh, my granddad was awesome. He was uh, extremely kind. Actually, he referred to us little kids uh, as his kitties. And when we would walk in, he'd say hi to the kitties. But he'd look at my dad. He'd look up to my dad. He deeply loved my dad. And even though my dad was in his 40s and a grown man, he would call him pal. And he would, he would create three meals for us while we were there. And so whether we were staying for three days or a week or whatever, he made every single meal. He loved to have us there. And he personified just real love and affection. And so he was different than my dad. He did things I'd never seen my dad ever do. Like for example, when we would go to leave his house, my granddad would go put oil in the car for our ride back to Northern Idaho. I didn't even know what that was. Like that was foreign to me. And, and he would go in and he would put in windshield wiper fluid and he cared about the vehicle. And that was just not my dad. My dad didn't have a toolbox. He just had highlighters and books. And so I, I, just, I just saw this in my granddad, but my granddad, when we would leave his house, he would always hug my dad and, and say, bye, pal. And he deeply loved my dad so deeply. And, and as we would pull out of his driveway in his 80s, 5'4", he would always stand there and he usually had a hat on and he would just, he would just go like this, you know, 80 years old. And he had big tears that would come down his eyes and he'd say, bye, pal, bye, kitties. And, and he was just this this example of, of a grandfather, a granddad is what we call them with a lot of love and, a, and affection. And, and I was so amazed as my parents took care of him in his 90s uh, as he was coming to the end of his life. And he lived a great life. He, uh, his body started to get old and his mind started to go, but he was always extremely affectionate. He was always extremely kind. And he always had butterscotches in his pockets and he was always handing out butterscotches. And that was his favorite thing. He usually wore the same pants every day and he'd pass out butterscotch and wave like this and high in tears and sweetest. And I'll never forget coming home from my freshman year of college and, and walking in and his body was deteriorating. So he was sitting on the couch. He was living with my parents by that time. And, and, uh, and his mind was starting to go and yet he was still so kind, so sweet. And and I walked in, I'd been gone for eight weeks off to college and I walked in and when I walked in, he looked at me and I had a younger brother named Dan who lived at home and he was in high school. And I said, granddad, I'm home. And my granddad looked back and he was a little bit shocked. He looked at me and goes, 
okay, Danny boy, have a great night. See you later, you know? And I was like, no, granddad, it's Davy boy. And I'm not leaving. I just got here and I've been gone. He's like, hey, butterscotch, you know? And he's just, I just have all these warm feelings and affections when I think about the kindness of my grandfather. And I tell you that story because I've told you all the stories about my dad. Uh, I, I was thinking about the affectionate father story and we love the affectionate father stories. We love the stories of fathers that deeply love and we sing songs about it. We sing songs about you're a good, good father. And, and today we sing the song about the reckless love of God. And in this story, we're not talking about a good son that comes home. We're talking about a son who had walked in rebellion. We're talking about a son who here he looks at his father and he essentially says, you are as good to me as dad. And here's the idea. I want what you'll give me, but I don't want you. I want the wealth of your house, but I don't want relationship. I want what you can give to me. I want my share of the estate. And so in that culture, this would probably be as the younger brother where he would get one third, probably the older brother got two thirds. And in this story, the younger brother turns his back on his father and he goes off to this distant country. And he's essentially saying, I don't wanna live in your house. I wanna go my way. I wanna do my thing. We're all familiar with the story where when the money runs out, the party runs out, the famine comes. And in this culture, in this time, a famine wouldn't mean uh, just hard times and difficulty. It often might mean death. And so he goes and becomes a servant. Just Most commentators think that the idea here is that in the same way that a shepherd would sleep out among the sheep that here he, this Jewish boy now taking care of pigs would sleep out near the pigs, live and take care of pigs for a living and became so hungry that he desired to eat what the pigs were eating, was hungry, so hungry, he was hungry for the pig food. And in the story that Jesus tells, he says, and then here's what motivated him. He, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to eat and here I am starving to death. I will go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he starts to form that speech, that speech of I'm not worthy. I'm no longer worthy. This is where all of us know those moments where we've walked away from God where we've turned away from him, where we have said, I'm gonna go my way, I'm gonna do my thing. And then you reach this moment of brokenness where you go, it's, it's better with the father. It's better back at the father's house. It's better, it's better doing it the God way than my way. And this is the great moment here where now this repentant moment where he actually turns his back on the distant country. And this is where there's the capacity for everything to change because this was a dead end and always is. And now he's gonna go back to his father's house. It's the story of repentance. And now he turns his back on his way, his old way, and he's gonna go back to the father's house. And he's forming in his mind this, this shame speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Make me a hired hand. Highly probable that as a slave, he does not have shoes so that he's barefoot, a servant, he was walking back, distant country, covered in sweat, smells like pig, walking back, expectation. I probably can't ever, I don't have expectation that I'll ever, ever be a son again. 
but just let me be like a hired hand. And here's the amazing part is in this moment, Jesus is sitting there and he's telling these stories and he's got two groups of people. He's got these tax collectors and sinners that he's feasting with, that he knows their names. And then he's got these religious people, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, and they know the Old Testament Torah and they know the law. And they're, they're not so sure about Jesus hanging out with sinners. And that's what makes this story so dynamic because Jesus is looking at them and he's got both sets right there. And he's got this idea where he's telling him this parable because inevitably they're in the parable. And he tells the story of the son that goes back. And of course, it's, it is the sentence that has changed our lives. The sentence that has changed your life is the description of the way that the father receives the son. I mean, this could be what you put on your profile. This is who we are. This is what changes the heart. Romans 2 says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I mean, this is the story that moves us every time because there's five descriptions of the way that the father responds to the prodigal. Not, not a good son that's coming home. <laughs> What's up? No, no, worse than that. No, this is the prodigal that said, you're as good as dead to me. I'm out of here. I'm going my way. And then there's the story where the father First, it says he sees him. And I love that idea that he sees him because behind that is the idea that he's looking for him, that he is the father. You know how it is when you've got your kids and you just know your kid, like you're at the basketball game and every other kid just looks kind of average and they make a basket and you're like, I don't care, you know, but, but justice scores, I'm like, Wah! you know, like you just, you just know, like I'm looking for when my boy scores, like there's a little, I, I, I know the way that my, my, my kid looks. I, if, I, if, I'm in a, if I'm in an airport and I see my kid in the distance or if I'm at church, it's like, I know this doesn't help the dream team, but it's like when you're going back to the nursery, you're like, you, you can see your kid real quick. And it's like, I picture the father, he knows his son, he knows his boy. And off in the distance, he can see the silhouette and he sees the walk. It's a little bit skinnier. It's my boy in the distance. And of course, when the father saw him, see him. I just want, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're living in. And maybe you feel like the prodigal right now. Maybe you're living completely for yourself, but I just want you to know your father sees you. Maybe right now, it seems like you are so distant. He sees, he's looking. His father sees him. And this is the great part. It's what's on the inside and it's filled with compassion. So what's, what's the motivator? On the inside, there's compassion. We can take that and this image of the father helps us understand what the father is like. Filled with compassion. And then it says, and he ran to his son. Great story. He runs. Not from his boy. You reject me, I reject you. You don't go my way, man, I'm not going yours. No. You just turn toward me and I'm running towards you. I'm, I'm running after you. And the text says that he ran to him and then he hugged him and then he kissed him. And I imagine Jesus, he's teaching. It's kind of like kingdom of God is, you guys are so bugged that I'm doing this. And I'm looking at Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus and I, I like that wee little man. And you guys are a little bit bugged that I'm locking eyes with the adulterous woman. And you think, man, why don't you just 
throw rocks like the rest. What, what? But I got compassion. You know, I, Jesus, I'm the Father, and the Father's in me. And the Father, I, I do only what I see the Father doing. And, and so if you want to know what I'm like, let me tell you what your Father's like. And let me tell you about the kingdom. It's, it is kind of like a shepherd that goes after the one. It is kind of like a lady that looks so hard, diligently, for the coin and rejoices with the sheep, rejoices with the coin. It's like a father. And he looks at two different groups of people. The brilliant teacher. And he looks at people that he loves. And they're messed up. They're broken. And they're, they're the outcasts. And he sees those who have the Torah memorized and keep every jot and tittle of the law. And he, he loves them too. And he sees them rejecting them. And he sees them just turning towards him. He's gone. It's like a son that is just coming home. And he's got nothing. He's got not a penny to his name. He's broken. He's so messed up. And let me tell you what the kingdom's like. It's a father. It's a father that rejoices and hugs and runs and kisses. And he's inviting them into being like his father. And he's telling them, I am like my father. And he's saying, this is a new day. It's a great moment because the father looks at the boy. And I just picture the boy He's got his speech ready and we do this. Okay, we got our thoughts on me. It's about my performance. It's about how good I am. <sighs> father, our sin gets heavy against you. I'm no longer worthy. And what I love is that the father doesn't even let him finish his speech. The father's love is louder <laughs> than the son's shame speech. He interrupts him and goes, quick, put a robe on him. Probably the father's robe. Hey, get him the ring. This would have been like the credit card. Get him the signet ring. Hey, you're a son. Hey, put some sandals on his feet like a son. He's not a slave. Hey, you're my boy. I just love that the son can't even get the speech out. Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. And the father's like, hey. And he starts giving out of his overflow of affection. <laughs> Let me give you some gifts. Let me tell you what I'm like. And he runs to his boy. And his son, if you can imagine it, walking from a distant land. He's, I mean, he's gross, smells like sweat. Most commentators believe the idea would be as a slave, he'd have no shoes because he'd be so poor. And that he's been living near the pigsty, feeding pigs, Smells like pigs, smells like dried sweat, stink. And this father runs to him, has compassion for him, hugs him, kisses him. The Greek word there is kept on kissing. It's not like a, welcome back. It's a, I mean, it's, you're my kitty. I mean, it's always like, it's almost grandfatherly. Ah, I love you. And I just picture it. I mean, not just smelling the manure and the sweat, but I mean, if he's kissing him, I mean, he's just, 
he just can't help but overflow with affection for his boy. And this picture is the picture that Jesus communicates as he looks at the tax collectors and he looks at the sinners and he's inviting them in. And he pivots. And he goes, and there's another brother. Let me tell you what he's like. Suddenly the story continues. It's not over. No, there's an older brother and the older brother refused to come into the party. The older brother stayed out out of disdain, found out that there was a party going on. Hey, Pharisee, there's a party going on. Jesus in John 14 would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a party going on right now. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever, even the tax collectors, even these sinners, guys, there's an invitation. Guys, through me, this isn't about your self-righteousness. This is about Christ. This is about me. He's welcome to the party. He says, there's some older an older brother. The older brother in his disdain and in his irritation and in his own self-righteousness refuses to enter into the party. And just like the father chased down the prodigal, just like the father chased down the rebellious, the father leaves the party to go find the religious. And he says, hey man, what's up? He's like, I'm not going. I'm not. I, I'm, don't you know that all these years I've been slaving for you? Hold on a minute. What's your motive there? A little bit of heart Jesus gives right here. Wait a minute. I, I, I'm the father. If, you, if, if, you, if, it, if this is for me, if you're my son, you want what I want. This was the best day of the father's life. He's throwing a party. My boy was lost and he is found. And when we get the story of, of the sheep, we get lost and found. When we get the story of the coin, we get lost and found. We get the story of the prodigal. We get lost and found. And then he adds to the level. He goes, he was dead and he's alive again. And he goes, ah, your, your brother, your brother was dead and he's alive. He's lost and he's found. And Jesus, when he's telling the story, he's got the father flipping the script on him. And because the son's distancing himself from the brother, this son of yours. And I just like this grit. The father goes back brother of yours because he's distancing himself from the rebellious but Jesus is bringing reconciliation between the religious and the rebellious at the father's house there is a way Jesus for all of us to feast at the table this isn't just for you this is for all and they're turning Jesus is I think he winks at Zacchaeus I got you Come on, Nicodemus. Come on, buddy. Come on. Guys, look with me. He's locking eyes with real people. And he's going, yeah, but, but you never even gave me a goat. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. You mean to tell me you don't care about me and what I'm caring about? You care about the goat? You care about the fatty calf? And at the beginning of the parable, he says that he divided his estate between them. So in all reality, this, this, was, this was costing, this, even this party and the fattened calf, the delicacy was costing the older brother. 
And he's going, ah, and the father goes, come on, you're invited. Come to my feast, come on. Don't stay out of the party. And it's the end of the story where Jesus kind of leaves us hanging because at the end of the story, he just ends it. He looks at him and says, we had to celebrate for this brother of yours was lost and it's found he was dead and it's alive again. And then we don't get, I mean, we leave there. Did the brother go in? Did he stay in the field? Did he go in? Stay in the field. And Jesus just leaves us because I think he's looking right there and he's going, you choose. What are you gonna do? You're gonna live in your religion or are you gonna follow me? You're gonna live in your self-righteousness? You're gonna walk with me. Let me tell you what I'm like. Let me tell you what my father's like. He's an affectionate father and he's welcoming in those prodigals. And you know what? He's like a father that he looks, even at the people that are locked in self-righteousness and he's going out into the field and he's chasing them down. And the prodigal sin, oh man, that's obvious. Look at them, those tax collectors and sinners, adulterers, murderers. I mean, external sin, we can all just whoo, push away. Prodigal, whoo, you can see it. You can see sloth and you can see gluttony and you could see, you could see immorality or lust. External sin, easy, condemn, push out. But the, the older brother living in the field, He's got sin in him. It's just on the inside. He's living in the house. Never left the father, but he's got used to it. And he's developed a secondary motive. Hey, I want that calf. I, I, when you're not given to me, you can feel it. He's got anger towards the father. Internal sin. Not always as visible. Greed. Well, certainly envy. Certainly, why, why? You never even gave me a goat. Why can't I have the calf? Whoa. You can feel it. This internal, these internal sins, these internal things. And religious people, it's easy to get. It's easy to start off repentant, the prodigal. And you spend 20 years in church and you might slander a little bit more sloth, a little bit less. Not as much adultery, but just kind of hide it with anger. And Jesus, he locks eyes. Hey, real people. He's working with them. He's going, hey, I came for Zacchaeus. I, I, I did. I, Nicodemus, hey, hey, you, hey, Pharisees, hey, teachers of the law, I, I came for you. You're, you're invited to the party. You gonna dance? You gonna stay in the field? Zacchaeus, you gonna turn? You gonna stay in the pig slop? You coming? There's a party. And Jesus looks at both the rebellious and the religious and reconciles. He says, come, come home. This is the party. And I just dream for us. I believe as we go into September, I believe God's wanting to invite us to be a house that celebrates, that's got the heart of a father because the father welcoming the son probably cost the older brother. But if the older brother's connected to the heart of the father, hey, maybe he's even out. Timothy Keller says, 
maybe Jesus is telling this story as a way of saying that Jesus is the there's, a, there's an older brother that went out and he didn't just leave the house. For, he, he, he left heaven and came to earth. And he's like the shepherd and he's chasing down the sheep and he's going out and he's gonna find it. It's this idea that at the father's house, the prodigals are welcome. The religious are welcome, but you're gonna have to leave the pig's got to sty. You're gonna have to turn your back on that and you're gonna have to leave the field and come and welcome home the prodigals. And imagine if we had this culture where we were repentant like the prodigal daily. It's not a one-time thing because you know we come back and it affects our prayer life. And the enemy still tries to speak to us that shame speech. This is not a one-time thing. This is the, 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 the enemy tries to constantly give us, get us to just step back and live like slaves instead of sons. We constantly are tempted to believe the lie that it's about me instead of about him. I'm not worthy to be called a son. Make me like a hired hand. And the enemy goes, see, you failed. See, you're too messed up. But I'm telling you, that story is our story every day. Yeah. <sighs> All right. I've, this pig slop is lame. My way is lame. Father, I'm coming home. And you do that every day. It's just a prayer. God, I'm coming home. I want your way, not my way. And I think that a lot of times when you're faithful and leading small groups, and serving, and it's easy to get irritated and live in the house, but get a little bit religious. It's about me. It's not about them. It's not about you. But the way of the Christian is... It's all about God, and I'm here to love others. So yeah, I'm coming into the party. Let's celebrate that brother of mine. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great ending? I don't know how it ends. Jesus just stops. It's crazy parable. Just stops, just right there for you. Which way are you gonna go? Our temptation is to live in the Father's house. If you're a follower, it's to live in the Father's house and be like the older brother. I want what you have to offer me, but I'm not, I don't want you. I want the calf, I want the house. I'll take a goat. But sons that are connected go, I want what's on your heart. I want, you celebrate prodigals. That's who you are. And This is a big enough feast. Turns out, the father looks and says, all that I have is yours. The older brother <laughs> I mean, think about it. Think about the abundance the older brother actually had. And he was mad and irritated about a feast, about the fattened calf. And so my prayer for us is that we, as, as a church, would grow in our prayer lives. God, I'm coming to you. Every time that you feel like a prodigal, every time that you've lived in sin, and every time that you can sense, I'm living... I, 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 I've said everything right. I know I'm doing everything right, but I'm irritated. I'm proud of myself. And, I'm, and that we would, both the religious and rebellious, would party together at the Father's house. We go into August to pray together. I'm believing God for prodigals to come home in September. I'm just asking God for a season. And I want that to be a part of this house. That's why we do, I mean, we want this to be a house where it's like normal to celebrate. This is, these are people that have come to know Jesus. And at the same time, it's a culture 
where it costs a little bit to throw a party after party. It, 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 I mean, it's it gonna cost you a little bit. Maybe church isn't just about me. Maybe church is about helping other people that were once lost come home. Amen? Will you bow your heads with me? Today, if you hear this and you say, I, I've been living like a, I mean, I turned my back on God and I'm, I want to know the heart of the Father. I want, I want to come back to the Father's house today. I want to live in the Father's house. I want to come home. If that's you, if you go, I just, I want, I want God in my life. You want to come home today just with every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to invite you to just slip up your hand and I want to pray for you and have you pray out that's you today. All right, just repeat this after me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I give you my life. Be the Lord of my life. I'm coming home. I don't want to live in a distant country doing my thing. I want life with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. If today you say, you know, I, I feel like I, I've got some of that internal sin in me. I'm a little proud of my own self-righteousness, what I can do. I just want to invite you just right now, just say to God, Father, your way, not mine. I want to feast at your table. I want your ways. Forgive me. Heal me. Change me. Do a fresh work in me. In Jesus' name. And Father, we just come before you and I ask that, God, as we go into 21 days of prayer, God, that we would have prayers where we come before you. And we don't run from you when we sin. We run back to you and see the heart of a father. I ask, Lord, that we would be broken and humble and we wouldn't live in self-righteousness. I pray that we would care like you care about prodigals. I pray that this would be a house, Lord God. We would be a church celebrates everyone that comes home. God, let that exist in our prayer lives. I pray for a fresh work in us, Jesus. God, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.